0: Hi, this is D.D. Pfeiffer, and you're listening to Then Is Now Podcast. Rise and shine, my sinners. When Father Evil starts his day, he gets a little deadly. Deadly Grounds Coffee has the richest, smoothest flavor you'll find anywhere. It's sinfully delicious. Once you go deadly, you never go back. Order yours at getdeadly.com. Coffee's so good. <laughs> It's scary.
1: Hi, this is Rigor, host of Then is Now podcast and The East Meets the West. I just wanted to say thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers. We appreciate your support as we grow the audience for our shows. You could find our links to our Patreon page as well as our T public page at havenpodcasts.com. With Patreon, you'll get a lot of exclusive stuff, including our monthly pop culture newsletter, cool gifts, discounts for Tee Public, and our special exclusive show, Then Is Now Filmmakers series, in which we interview directors, producers, writers, composers, special effects guys, basically anybody who works behind the scenes in film and television, and get their insights into the process of creating films and TV shows. Also at our Tee Public page, you'll find cool merch that you can get or even give to others as gifts. You could find those links at our website, or you can go directly to tpublic.com slash stores, slash haven podcasts, and patreon.com, slash then is now podcast. Enjoy.
2: What kind of a sick school is this? oh,
0: strange things are afoot at the circle k you're going to need a bigger boat surely you can't be serious i am serious and don't call me sure you got spunk i hate spunk danger will robinson danger oh righty. are you doing back off man i'm a scientist don't make me angry you
1: wouldn't like me when i'm angry
0: say hello to my little friend I love to celebrate in the morning.
3: What are you people? On dope?
1: Stop whining.
0: I got a crap on deck that can choke. I don't care.
1: Who is your daddy? I'm sorry, but all questions must be submitted in writing. I'm sorry, Dave.
0: I'm afraid I can't do that. Can I do that? I'll be back. A dino Show me the money! Don't! Up your nose, will you never a hose? what? I'm sailing! I'm sailing! You want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Love means never having to say you're sorry.
1: It is looking at you, kid.
0: We've got no food. We've got no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off. Go to the
2: coast. we we'll get together. Have a few laughs.
0: Hear Elizabeth? <laughs> I'm coming to join you, honey. I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. I love it when a plan comes together. What we do is
1: if we need that extra
0: push over the cliff, you know what we do?
1: Put it up to 11. 11 exactly one loud why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be
0: the top number and make that a little louder these come to 11 we're on a mission from guy
1: hi this is rigor and this is then is now podcast with my co-host chris esper how's it going today chris i'm doing well how are you doing today doing good i'm doing good did you have a good thanksgiving
4: it was nice and quiet but you know nice you know much needed time with the family you know so that's always good how about yourself
1: yeah yeah same it was really low-key uh, my son and his girlfriend came over for the weekend and um we we played a little D on friday night and then oh, i'm sorry saturday night and then sunday we went to uh we took my him and his girlfriend my wife and i and my grandson and we went and saw ghostbusters afterlife and that oh, was yeah. awesome
4: it was awesome i also saw that on thanksgiving with uh Two friends and uh, I gotta tell you, I I want to see it again. (laughs) Me (laughs) too. Yeah, it was it was excellent. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I without giving too much away, I cheered up at the ending.
1: Uh, Yep. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. (laughs) I cheered at one point towards (laughs) the end. (laughs) Yeah. And then I definitely had tears in my eyes. My wife looks at me. She's like, "Are you crying?" (laughs) Like, no, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not. I'm not crying. You're crying. Yeah, someone's <laughs> peeling onions in the theater
4: here. Right, right. No, but it was good because, and you know, not to beat a dead horse about the 2016 movie, that that, that had some relatively good qualities. I mean, the four leading ladies—they're all talented people. The movie, as written, just was not what it should have been. This movie, though, it was—it worked as a soft reboot to the original Ghostbusters, while also. Following up on the story, doing its own thing, and and still just um, somehow remaining a telling somehow a heartwarming story which you wouldn't expect from Ghostbusters, but it works.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, and there was just so many, I mean, from the music to the, just so many nods to the original film in it. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah. you know there were. I don't. I, I had a little issue with some of the exposition. Like, I felt yes. that yeah. characters should have told other characters certain things, and they didn't do yes. that. and That was irritating me, but then some of it, towards the end, you realize it was implied, or the character kind of already knew it.
4: Right. Yeah, exactly. I also had a problem with, I mean, some of the nods were great. Some of them were a little eye-rolling, like, like the, like the detective saying, who are you going to call? And right, I'm like, right i'm like come on you know that that's that's not cool yeah <laughs> um the, the, go ahead and, and no and then the scene following that again without giving too much away cuz this right. is kind of kind of a reveal when 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 there is that specific phone call to one of the original ghostbusters not going to yes. say who that scene it was fine and it was nice to see that actor for that moment but the exposition there just it did not work because it was just like dumping all this information what Egon did uh what what uh what Peter Vankman did and what this person did and that it's like n- no it, it doesn't work
1: yeah yeah although when that scene when the camera first cuts to that scene yes I, right away I knew where they were before I even saw I, who was in there
4: exactly and th- you know that <laughs> was one of the few nods to Ghostbusters, 2, yes i'm what i'm like I'm like, man, I kind of wish this movie gave more or not to ghostbusters 2, because I like that movie. I mean, I know people are divided on it, but i i 've always liked part two, I always thought it was a fun movie,
1: i yeah, it was, and I rewatched it recently, and actually I, I mean I loved it growing up, and then after a while, I kind of started to not like it, and i I loved yeah. it again, and this one, you know what this one does that the other one doesn 't is it it's how do I describe it? From the very opening notes of this one, it starts to sound like the original, and it yes. just puts you in that mood, and yep. the second one didn't do that.
4: That That's very true, yeah. The second one had a different... Everything about the second one felt different from the... Not so much the tone a little bit, but I think more so the music, even the cinematography had like... It had kind of a different look. I mean, and yes. this one does. this one does too, but it still retains that more... I don't know, that more grittier New York feel that the original movie had uh, that the second one did not have, strangely enough.
1: Yeah, it's almost like the second one, the image was too clean. You know. Yes, it wasn't as grainy. Exactly. Like, this one was a little grainier, you know? Yep, exactly
4: right, yeah. But uh, there were some nice touches, and I mean, I think it helps that Jason Reitman was at the helm. Yes. You know, and, and, and having his father there to say, you know, this is how you know. This is how we would have done it. This is probably not the right way to go, and they would have arguments about this stuff. But like, but like, good arguments where, you know, one was sort of outweighing the pros and cons with the other. So I mean, and you could tell it worked out beautifully.
1: Well, yeah, because they they both cared immensely about the the product, you know. Right, right. And um, the in the second one, the effects were yep. not that great. There was just that com- mm, beginning yeah. of computer generated stuff and the slime. Yep on the building just didn't look good
4: <laughs> no it did not it's really sad to say um but uh and you know i think the problem with with that sequel too is that it came out five years too late by that point it was 1989 and you know ghostbusters had 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 been released in 84 by that point i think i think people have moved on i think they did it much too late
1: oh interesting yeah i think you're probably right yeah. you know and it's funny i will i will confess surprisingly I actually, for whatever reason, I'm not sure why, I did not see the first Ghostbusters in the theater. Shame on me. Yep. Yeah. Shame. 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 Shame on me. But I did watch it zillions of times since then, so I'm more than made up for it.
4: Yeah, yeah. I think Ghostbusters... So, I wasn't born when the original came out. Uh, I was born when the second movie came out, but I hadn't seen either one of them until... Maybe I was ten years old, so this would have been the late '90s, and yeah. it was the first. It was the first DVD I ever owned. I remember um, it was so strange. We were uh, members of my family, like second and third cousins, they were visiting us, and uh, they, they had some young kids that, like, you know, I used to hang with, and one of them had bought a DVD copy of Ghostbusters with them to watch, and I'm like, I'm like, oh, what's this? Like, i never heard of this, and then we put it on, and I'm engrossed. And, of course, I asked if I could borrow it so I could finish the movie. Uh, and uh, and I probably watched it a dozen more times after I <laughs> borrowed that DVD. They didn't see it back for a while, I'll say that much. <laughs> so then I finally bought my own. And, yeah, so it was probably the first DVD I ever owned. And it was probably the first movie when I became aware that there were people that made movies for a job. There were directors, producers, there were, you know, writers. And IMDb was just becoming a thing. In most uh, household homes, and, you know, with, with the internet and all that, and I remember looking up Ghostbusters, and like seeing, oh wow, how Ramis and Dan Aykroyd both wrote, both wrote the movie and they're in the movie. Oh wow, that's really interesting. And then you look <laughs> at their credits, you look at their credits, and oh, they also did this movie and that movie together. Oh wow, I like that one too. So yeah, and so then I started to, <laughs> so I started to develop like favorites from that. And uh, when I was ten years old. I wrote a script, and it had elements of sci-fi and comedy, much like Ghostbusters and a few other select movies I would watch. And I remember uh, reading some producer's name off the credits of Ghostbusters, a random guy, and sending him my script, and having no idea how the hell the industry worked. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm submitting. So I'm sending this thirty-something page script. I'm ten years old. Uh, I'm writing on the thing, the person's name, Hollywood, California, Columbia Pictures, yada yada yada. Uh, it got sent back to me like six months later. I could like return to sender, stamped on it or something like that. But I mean, it, but I mean, it. Uh, I guess that sort of fueled me. Uh, <laughs> That's to, awesome. To do this in some way, so yeah, Ghostbusters holds a very special place in my heart.
1: That's awesome. That's so yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I grew up uh, obviously with the original Saturday Night Live crew, Saturday Night Live crew, which, sure. in my opinion, was the only real funny. Uh, so Absolutely, guys. But Absolutely. you know, yeah. I mean, Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd came right from that, and yeah, I had seen them in other movies like Meatballs and Stripes and sure. Caddyshack yeah. and all that. And and Harold Ramis, I think he he directed Stripes too. I think, or was it Ivan Reitman directed Stripes? Ivan
4: Reitman directed Stripes, but but Harold Ramis did direct
1: Caddyshack. That's right. And Ramis was yeah. in Stripes. Correct. Um, yep. So yeah, when I finally saw these guys all together, I kind of knew who they were, and uh, so. You know that was just exciting as it was. I mean, I remember watching the premiere on TV with my friends because I had missed it in the theater. I don't know how the hell that happened, but yeah. Uh, There was one thing I did want to bring up, and again, um, you know, we're a little bit in spoiler territory here. So, folks, if you want to fast forward like thirty or forty seconds, um, because they give this away in the trailer, so I'm not giving away too much if you've seen the trailer. But the car, the Ghostbusters car, is in it, Mm -hmm. and it in the new movie it's in the new movie however in the second movie they had changed the logo where he's got his fingers up doing the number yes, 2 yes correct wouldn't that have been the car
4: that is a very good point actually <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like what happened
1: <laughs> right
4: <laughs> uh, yeah 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 now that you say that yeah i didn't even think of that but yeah that's so true and then also you have to wonder well, I do like the new addition that they added to the car. You know, uh, with, the, with the seat that comes the out. Seat, and yeah, 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 yeah. That's all great. I wonder when that was put in. Not because the movie doesn't really get into that sort of thing. I mean, you sort of assume that Egon made these modifications as he was on this farm. Right. But it's it's not super clear, and I'm I'm thinking to myself, where was this in 1984? What, it's, like, right. it's like when did I miss this? <laughs>
1: Oh, my, my grandson's great. five, and he was like so excited to go see the movie, and he was so excited to see the gunner seat. Yeah,
4: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, and you know, it was you know, and, and I liked the new sort of Slimer this movie had. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, what's uh, what's his name? Um, uh, Muncher. Muncher. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was cool. Yeah.
1: yeah, it was cool, and he was actually pivotal to the plot. So,
4: yes, yes, that was
1: um, really cool. So, yeah, overall. uh I'd say we really enjoyed Ghostbusters Afterlife, and I, I was pleasantly surprised, and I was hoping against hoping a couple of certain things were going to happen, and they did, and I was very, very happy about that.
4: Yeah, yeah, the, again, the only real complaints I had were just, like, the way some callbacks were used, and also how the original cast was used. I kind of hoped that they were going to be more pivotal to the plot, that they were going to show up a little bit earlier, but the way they did show up, it was incredible,
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, just moving on here. Have you had a chance to see the Hawkeye series yet?
4: No, I have not.
1: Oh, you know Hawkeye, right, For the Avengers? Yeah. Jeremy Renner. Yeah, he's got his own show now. Oh, is that right? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And I think a lot of the storyline from it is based on the comics, which I haven't read comics in a long time, but there's a young girl in it who also uses a bow, because at the very opening of the very first episode, it takes place during the Battle of New York. Mm-hmm. And... um And she sees him, like all this stuff is happening around her and, and, you know, her house is getting crumbled and her family is getting injured and stuff. And she sees Hawkeye just save a bunch of people and, you know, swooping around on his bow, grappling hook and stuff. And that sort of inspires her to become an archer like him. uh, Oh, okay. And now she's, you know, like 20 or something and the story kind of picks up from there. That's awesome. So I highly recommend that. That was good. I'll check it out. Um, we've been my wife and I have been watching the third, uh, fourth season of Handmaid's Tale 2, which is really good. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, folks. Well, we've got a Well, actually, I'm sorry. Did you have any TV shows you wanted to bring up?
4: Uh, no, I can't think about anything, no.
1: Okay. Okay, folks. So, today we've got a cool science fiction author on the show who's going to discuss what it's like to be a writer and t- take us through the whole process and his process of writing and publishing. So, class is in session
4: i have a bad
3: feeling about this
1: how could i possibly be expected to handle school on a day like this
3: Food fight! hey you in my class i am today i think you should consider transferring to shop class Woo-hoo! now now very few students are severely injured
0: in Shaw class Bueller? When you were in school Bueller? Did you ever cut class? Bueller? Yeah, I guess I did, sure, most kids cut classes Good, sign this Um, he's sick I get so lonely when I hear that third attendance bell ring And all my kids are not here Seven years of college down the drain Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son You lack discipline As long as I'm here, there will be no grades,
1: or gold stars, or demerits We're gonna have recess all the time Woo! Go,
4: play and have fun now!
1: Okay, folks. We are here with the author of a series of science fiction westerns called Adam and Go, about a spacefaring gunslinger and his daughter and their adventures across the galaxy. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show Zachary Windrow. Hello. How's it going? Awesome. Awesome. Glad to have you here. Um, now, Zach, you and I met at the Rhode Island Comic Con, and you had a booth where you were uh, promoting and selling your books, and that's how we got into contact. Uh,
3: what was your experience at the con like? Ah, uh, it was it was pretty good. It was my first time at the Rhode Island Comic Con. I'd been to a couple others, and um, it was by far the biggest one. Um, I am not a hundred percent sure how it stacks up against previous years. I mean, I kind of got mixed messages on that, but I I had a good time. I met a whole lot of different people, and it, I think that was one of the things that was really fun about this one is just the variety in in people that were there i mean some of the smaller ones i've been to you kind of see the same i don't know same costumes, same type of people and with this one it was just across the board so it was really fun
1: awesome awesome yeah we met a lot of great people there and um and you're the first person from there to be on our show we've had a whole bunch of nice people so it was fun i was telling i think last episode i was telling chris Um, first of all, my wife had never, ever been to any kind of science fiction or horror convention or comic book convention. And, um, she got to meet her teenage crush, C. Thomas Howell. (laughs) And it was hilarious. It was like they practically had to bring in a shop vac and scoop her off the floor because she could barely (laughs) utter words to to him.
3: (laughs) Well, I mean, that's, that's, I guess you can, you can see how people would be like kind of overwhelmed by that, but I mean, they're just people too, you know, I mean, my yeah. daughter actually went up, and uh, I forget who she was talking to. Um, I mean, my I took my 13 year old daughter with me. She was my assistant, um, but you know, when time when things were slow, I just told her to go walk around and talk to people. And she ended up talking to a couple, a couple people that the that were signing autographs in there that didn't have any lines, and she just kind of, you know, went up to them and was like, "Hey, what's going nice. on?" <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's awesome. That's so cool. So, so, Zach, how did you get into writing?
3: Well, I mean, I, I always say, like, the cop-out answer is, you know, I've been writing my entire life, and, I mean, that's kind of true. Um, my dad is an English professor, so, I mean, he has some, <laughs> he actually pulled out, like, this memory box of, you know, stories I had written in, like, second and third grade. Uh, but, realistically, the Adam and Go series, I started writing that uh, about, about five years ago. I fell off a roof and broke my back.
0: Mm-hmm. and
3: was laid up you know I was one of those big uh brace things where you couldn't move and I was just stuck on the couch and I was like you know what I'm gonna write a book uh and so I just I propped my laptop up and uh on my lap and I I just I wrote the first installment of Adam and Go which is Genesis and I mean that realistically took me about 10 weeks to write that um I mean I'd written stuff before but never really gotten any traction anywhere but with this I, uh, I got that, I got it out, and I, I actually got it published by a, a smaller press. Um, so the first book was published traditionally. Um, and then with the second one, you know, uh, we kind of went our separate ways on some creative differences. Uh, but uh, that's, I mean, that's pretty much how I got into kind of like this full time writing, was about five years ago um, and a broken back. <laughs> wow.
1: Wow. I, I assume you're, you're okay now.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, luckily it was a compression fracture. So, I mean, it's like the least serious of the broken backs, I guess. I, uh, I like flipped off a roof and I landed on my feet. Ooh. And so just the, the impact, I was about, uh, about 13, 14 feet and just the impact of landing on my feet just crushed everything down. Oof. Oh my God yeah wow well we're glad you're okay and you're here
1: now and you're yes. writing some great books thank you thank you <laughs> do you I find appreciate it, that? oh no problem do, do you find that writing like does it energize you or does it exhaust you or does it come in
3: waves uh it kind of comes in waves i mean there, there are definitely days where i feel like the story is yeah kind of at a crossroads or or maybe a fork in the road is probably a better example um and those days are kind of slow, and I'll hit the end of those days, and I'm like, "Ah, oh, I don't know if I really you know made the progress I wanted, but then you get the days where you're just on a roll, and you know you crank out 10, 15 pages and it's just flying, and you're like, "I don't want to stop," and it's like, "Ah, oh, it's time for dinner, maybe I should you know and <laughs> those days you just you you feel just so energized and like the story is just flowing mm-hmm. and it's it's though so it 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 does it comes and goes, you know there are days where you're just overwhelmed by the muse shall we say and there are days you're like all right i'm i haven't finished a page yet (laughs) right
1: (laughs) oh man you know obviously you know you're a very humble guy Uh, do you find that um a big ego
3: helps or or hurts writers sometimes um i i don't know I, i i don't know that i have a ton of experience um with that i do know that uh You know, some other writers that I have come in contact with, I I mean, I don't know that they have big egos, but they definitely, and I think most writers are probably like this, when it comes to their work, they don't like to be overly criticized.
0: Hmm.
3: So, I mean, I don't know whether that's an ego thing or if it's just a, you know, this is my creation, I don't. Mm. i don't want you tinkering with it you know <laughs> i mean right. i've never had anybody be like you peon don't <laughs> don't talk to me you know um
1: <laughs>
2: in fact
3: you know the a couple of the authors i mean i i corresponded a few times with andy weir okay. uh, the guy who wrote the martian oh okay um and oh, wow. i just like out of the blue i was like you know what i i'm just going to email him and just because his email's on his website and i was like i'm just going to email him and just you know say you know hey I'm, i published this book do you have any advice And within like an hour, he had emailed me back. That's amazing! Wow. Like, here are a couple pointers. You know, you you might want to try this. Blah blah blah. And I was like, holy crap! He just you know like, this is Andy Weir. You know, I mean like, (laughs) he has has a movie. You know, Matt Matt Damon made a movie with his from his book, and he emailed me within an hour. And we went back and forth probably three or four times. Um, and I just thanked him. You know, but so there are definitely some authors out there that. Are pretty humble and you know pretty accessible and i would i would love to meet him in person sometime and just you know thank him because i was that was pretty awesome and very you know uplifting as as you know a, a new writer to have you know somebody who's you know has some experience take that time it's just it was awesome
1: yeah sure. that's great yeah. that's great yeah even like getting some of the guests on the show that we've gotten i've been blown away by them and you know Chris has, has gotten a few and you know between the two of us it's just we're we're shocked sometimes these people even give us the time of day you know
3: <laughs> <laughs> i i guess you know at the same time i was i was talking to somebody can't really remember who uh, but i was actually it was a, a friend of mine who's another author uh, and i was saying you know it it's really funny cuz there are all these re- authors out here all these all these books that i absolutely love but I could be sitting next to this author on a train and I wouldn't know. Right. You know, cause we, mm-hmm. we hide behind our books. We hide behind the words, you know? Yeah. We might put a picture on the back of our, our books, but you know, I don't think a lot of people know what authors look like. And I mean, maybe that helps authors be humble too. Cause you know, we're not movie. We're not movie stars. We're not like, no, oh, look at me. I'm so pretty. We're like, read my book. Come yeah. on, please. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's
1: great! What are you some of, What are some of your favorite authors, and do are, do you have any that are your inspirations for writing?
3: Um, I don't. Know, my my like when it comes to science fiction, my top three authors probably have to be. I mean, you know, Robert Heinlein. I mean, he's classic, you know. Yeah. I mean, the Moon is a Harsh Minister, Starship Troopers, Stranger in Strange Land. You know, that kind of stuff is. It's just it's classic. Um, I I really I I mean I grew up with like Orson Scott card, Ender's game uh, on that whole series. And I personally, I like the original series better than the newer kid series. Um, But he's probably two. And then I'd have to go with uh, Frank Herbert um, with Dune. And I mean, I, I honestly think that, you know, I mean, aside from seeing star Wars when I was a kid, I think Dune might have been, you know, the book that really made me fall in love with science fiction. Hmm. And with the movie coming out, I actually went back and reread it. Um, I mean, I think I, I still have the copy that I bought in sixth grade at the, you know, the book fair at my school. And I read wow. it then and I loved it. Um, and I went back just and read it right before I went and saw the movie. And I was just kind of blown away by the writing style and just how kind of different it is from a lot of science fiction. Because there's a lot of sci-fi out there that is very like tech heavy. Yeah, and I mean, I could I could pull out some authors that you know the the focus of the book is the science, which I get. You know, I mean, that's that that's hard sci-fi. That some people like that,
1: like a William personally, Gibson I like type. The, the what? Like a William Gibson author? type? Yeah, thing.
3: yeah, or uh, you know, or Kim Stanley Robinson. You yeah. know, like those kinds that are just like it's it's the science that is the main character, not necessarily the characters. Uh, personally, I like. I like characters, you know, I'm, I'm very, I'm, I I love character driven stuff. And I felt like Frank Herbert, he moved so much along with dialogue. Whereas a lot of, you know, older authors really love that, you know, kind of Tolkien-esque just narrative exposition that just goes on forever. And Frank Herbert was like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to have my characters talk and tell the story through their words. And it's like, I love it because that make that's what kind of makes it a classic in my mind. That's what makes it kind of eternal. It's like, you can read it now, you can read it 20 years ago, you can probably read it 50 years in the future and we're all human and dialogue and talking is what, is how we interact. So, I mean, that really, that might be the book that really kind of made me fall in love with science fiction.
1: Nice. 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 Do you find that, uh, you know, I know that writing the end of a story sometimes is the hardest and um do you do you figure out your ending what and and you plot out the whole book as you're doing it or is it more of a kind of a stream of
3: consciousness as you go i am i am middle of the road (laughs) (laughs) um i've talked to a lot of authors who uh you know they're hardcore outliners i mean they probably have some you know term for it i know like the opposite end of the spectrum are the pantsers um uh the people that just, I mean, and I, Stephen King is one of those. He sits down and he just writes whatever comes out, um, you know, and then there are those who have like the, the hardcore outline and this, I'm going to stick to it. And I'm somewhere in the middle. I always have like kind of an, I have an idea of where I'm going. I have kind of a destination and I, the way I kind of, you know, describe it would be like, you know, I'm going to San Diego. I know I'm going to get to San Diego but which way am I going to go? You know, I could, I don't, I'm not tied to one specific route to get there. So um, like I said, I have like a loose outline. I know pretty much where I'm going to end up. Um, But that evolves. It's constantly evolving as I'm, as I'm writing and as I'm getting into the story, like I said (laughs) earlier, (laughs) um, you know, I, I had a character get shot in my, my last book, you know, or in the one I'm working on right now, and I was like, holy crap, I had not planned for this. What's uh, Where am I going? I mean, I thought this character <laughs> was going to make it all the way through, and now they just got, oh my gosh, you know, and so <laughs> you kind of have to adapt and overcome, And uh, but in my mind, that, that just gives it more realism, you know, because it's, it's flowing, it's going with, you know, like you said, with well, what would the characters really do, just because I say, you know, this is where I want to go in my outline. Well, what do I do if the character's like, no, 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 that's not what I would do. (laughs) You you, you, You can't make me do that. So, so I just, I try to be, like I said, fluid. I try to be liquid in my writing and I have, you know, kind of a loose outline, but go where the story leads. That's
4: awesome. That's awesome. Um,
3: I also am a writer, uh,
4: write screenplays and also um, short stories, and um, my process is very much the same uh, in that uh, I know writers are big into outlines, particularly with writing feature films. Uh, there is that whole notion of, got to have an outline, got to have an outline. I'm kind of the same way. I like to live with the characters and kind of see where it goes. I, I think that's great. Um, having said that, I found that when I publish my first book that self-published my first book that kind of taught me a lot so how did publishing your first book change your process of writing
3: um well i don't know that it changed it a whole lot i definitely feel like you know every time i start a new story i my my craft gets a little sharper i have a slightly better idea of you know how i want to write it in that you know in the more of the process Um, but the, the outline and the whole letting the story flow, I mean, that just, that stays the same for me, or at least it has over the past, you know, several books. Um, I, I mean, I, I have, have it kind of down to a system when it comes to, you know, the number of drafts and stuff like that. Sure. Uh, And that's something that I have learned, uh, working through several books is that, you know, having that system and, and knowing, okay, my first draft is, i'm not going back i'm just moving forward moving forward um and i'm going to get it on the page and then the second draft before i really let anybody see it i'm going to go back and i'm going to flesh everything out right and so i know that there are scenes that i write that are kind of bare bones because i just i want to it's i would almost think it's like um Maybe in a screenplay or in in acting, when you know you do the blocking, and you know I okay, I know this character's going here, and this character's going to do that, and then as you work through that scene a few more times, then you start to flesh it out, and you say, okay, well, what's the emotion this character is showing here, and you know how how are they interacting with the other characters, and so I I, I have that down, and that grows or has grown. But, but like I said, the, the whole outline, like I, I I'm sitting here at my desk right now looking at my outline for my current my work in progress, book three. And I know I can flip back to, it's on the same pad that, you know, book two is on and book one and I can flip back and they look almost identical in the the outline. And then just the little notes that I jot in to fill out, uh, fill out scenes as i'm i'm writing them and i'm like oh or as as i get as i move further on and i'm like oh i need to backtrack and make sure that you know i insert this into scene two so that you know this all makes sense um <laughs> but i i don't know if that answers the question oh <laughs> yeah. sure yeah yeah
1: yeah and it's funny because i had um i was writing a story once a while ago i was plotting out something i forget exactly what it was and i finally i was just having trouble visualizing the story as a whole. So what I did was I took a flip chart and I literally wrote it out as a timeline in front of me and I could see where things were going right and where things were going wrong. And I've got arrows going from here to there. No, this should happen first and that should happen after, you know, and cross this character out. No, he wouldn't go that You know, that kind of thing. So I totally understand what you're getting at. It's like yeah. it's 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 like it's like almost like you get a skeleton and then you put the the meat on it then you put the veins on it then you put the skin on it you know it's you got to kind of literally flesh it out you know exactly yeah, yeah.
3: cuz like first draft like i said it's 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 the bare bones it's you know going from point a to point b and does this make sense yeah you know is is there anything yeah. in here that like i read through it and i'm like oh my gosh why why did this character go here that's it, unlike them or it doesn't make any sense in the the grand scheme of things and then you can change it but then my i'm i am the opposite of of those authors that you know they write everything and then they they whittle it down by 10 percent or 20 percent. it's like i start with like i said the bare bones and then build upon that until i get to you know like 300 ish pages for a book yeah and it's my first draft usually tends to be you know 200 and then i grow it to 300 by you know the third or fourth draft wow. nice Nice. Now
1: now Chris and I have a surprise for you in the studio here. We've got a time machine. And we're gonna send you back five years ago to tell your younger self when you first started writing these books uh anything. What are you gonna tell yourself?
2: Uh, <laughs> well, five years
3: don't don't get on the roof. <laughs> <laughs> or or I don't know, or at the same time, you know, maybe that's what sparked everything that's maybe because I mean at the time I was painting and I was paint I was probably putting in I don't know, 30 to 30, 40, 50 hours a week, not leaving a whole lot of time for writing. And I've always loved writing. It's been kind of my outlet, but it was always just kind of a hobby on the side. And then, you know, so maybe, maybe I tell myself, make sure you get on the roof. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, cause I think that's what set it off, you know, having that, sure. you know, that block of time, that eight, I think it was eight weeks. It was either eight or 10 weeks where I just, I couldn't do anything. I literally laid on the couch and could not do anything. I mean, I, yeah, it was a pain.
1: (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Wow. So do you have a favorite novel that you feel is underappreciated by readers?
3: Um, I don't, I mean, a favorite novel that I've read. Yes. I would honestly probably go with Starship Troopers by Heinlein. I feel like that I, I, I love that book. But I feel like, well, I feel like the movie kind of gave people a bad taste. I feel like it was right. so different from, I mean, I, personally, I enjoyed the movie. I thought it was fun. Oh, yeah. I thought it was just, you know, it's just, it was a fun, you know, bug smashing, you know, sci fi movie. You know, I didn't expect too, too much from it. But then when I went back and read the novel, I realized that it was a whole lot deeper and there was like way more to it. And I feel like it's probably like out of, all of Heinlein's works or a whole lot of them, you know, it's probably the most underappreciated and probably because of that movie, people just think, you know, Oh, starship to and They think, what is it? Casper van diem. And yes. uh, yep. you know, mm-hmm. like, <laughs> they think the movie, and they're like, Oh no, that's <laughs> like, but no, the, the, the book was actually pretty deep and there was a lot, a lot going on in it. And so I would say for me, that's probably, you know, the first one that comes to mind, I could probably come up with some other, you know, smaller authors that, you know, are kind of gems that are just overlooked because, they're you know, it's a small author and people haven't heard of them. But I would honestly have to go dig on my shelf. (laughs)
1: Yeah,
3: (laughs) yeah. Oh, man. Is there a
1: difficulty when you're writing characters of the opposite sex? Do you have any issue with that at all? I don't,
3: not that I've noticed. And I, I think, I think maybe, maybe less because, I don't try to like really put myself in their shoes so much as I try to capture what I see people of the opposite sex doing and saying and how they act. You know, I, I try to, you know, look at my wife and my kids. And one of the things I love to do, um, although in this day and age people probably think it's creepy, but I love going (laughs) to get coffee and just sitting and and watching people watch people. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. People watch, watch how they interact. How are they talking? You know, this couple is, having a fight what is she doing what is what is he doing how are they you know what's their posture and stuff like that and so i I don't necessarily like i said i don't necessarily try to like put myself into their shoes so much as capture what i'm seeing and i mean that that's probably easier to do with adam and Goke's. the main character is a guy yeah and granted it's all third person i don't do a whole lot of in fact i don't there's very little internal monologue if any at all um and part of that is that i have an ai that's basically in his head (laughs) Hmm. and so he talks to this ai and so it's like you don't really need internal monologue when (laughs) you know he like vocalizes (laughs) his thoughts to talk to an ai when he's by himself Um, right
4: right right uh and you mentioned um your family your wife and kids um does your family support your career as a writer
3: Yeah. Yeah, they do. And actually I am, I am really blessed to have a wife who's like, you know, go for it, you know? And I mean, she's a, she's a music teacher. Nice. And, you know, we've kind of been that, you know, atypical, um, rules reversed couple in that, you know, she works full time and I have been the stay at home dad. And a part of that was that, you know, like I said, I painted for a long time and I could do that in the summers when she was off and I could, you know, kind of work around her schedule and still bring in some decent money, but I was always here for the kids. You know, my oldest is 13, so for 13 years now, I've been, you know, a stay-at-home dad, and, you know, uh, you know, I write when I can, and and it's gotten easier now. The kids are all in school, but, you know, I drop them off at school, and I come home, I write, get my, you know, six hours of writing in, and then pick them up from school and make sure I'm here. And I mean, and we both, you know, both my wife and I have really kind of felt that that is something that is really, really important for kids is having, you know, parents at home and sure. all that. So
2: that's great. Hello, this is Rod Barnett. I'm the host of The Bloody Pit, the podcast that examines films from across the decades. On The Bloody Pit, we have several ongoing series of shows within the show focused on specific things in genre cinema that I and my co-hosts find fascinating. There's a long-running series focused on Italian maestro Antonio Margariti's films from the 1960s all the way up through 1990. There's an on-again, off-again series focused on 1970s science fiction films. There's an in-depth look at the western movies that William Castle made before he struck out on his own and became the horror auteur that we know and love. A look at the classic Coffin Joe films from Brazil. And our long-term project to look at every universal horror film made in the 1940s. That's a long project, people. It's going to take us a long time. Sprinkled in amongst those are various other episodes focused on other stranger areas of cinema, like uh, Lucio Fulci, Dario Argento, and even some obscure British crime films from time to time. So join me and my rotating crew of co-hosts as we examine the stranger side of cinema through an exploitation lens, except when we don't yeah you never really know exactly what to expect on the bloody pit so join me for the bloody pit
0: prepare for a spine-tingling nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Hear your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of and the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio.
4: Shark Bites, Shark Bites Podcast, it's the greatest show in history from the Dorking Network, hosted by a nerd who's named Patsy. From movie reviews to tips on surviving the coronavirus, Shark Bites has it all. Follow us on Facebook and suggest topics at sharkbitespod at gmail.com. Available on iTunes,
0: Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts.
3: Are you a lifelong fan of General Hospital? Are you a new fan who wants to know more about the history of the show? Do you enjoy talking about the show with others? Do you find yourself yelling at the TV? Is your self-care an hour a day in Port Charles? If so, we invite you to join hosts Amanda Kimmel and Shannon Coach at a place where all the hidden conversations take place and secrets are revealed. Meet us at Pier 54, a General Hospital fan podcast.
4: Do you have a scene that you wrote that you found that was the hardest to write?
3: Um... I don't know that I've had, like I, I I do have, when I hit that fork in the road and I'm kind of trying to decide, you know, well, okay, like right, right now I'm sitting on a scene where, um, you know, and I, I've kind of figured it out in the past couple of days, but I was sitting on a scene where Adam meets this older couple. Um, they're probably, you know, fifties, late fifties, early sixties. And the guys, the, it's a typical farm family. And I was sitting there and I was like, I don't want to keep going because I feel like this, I need action right now. Mm-hmm. But he's met this older couple. So is he going to get in this gunfight with an old couple? And I was like, that doesn't really make sense. But like, well, but what if they're more than just an old couple? I don't know. What if they're after? I don't know. And so, like, I do – I'm not going to say I, like, have trouble. Like, I I don't really get writer's block, but I do get this kind of, like, okay, I've got two very viable, you know, storylines that I could go. But whichever way I go, it's going to change – the outcome. And so mm-hmm. I do, I, it, I take my time with those, you know, and it's right. like, I'm not going to say that they're hard, but I take my time cause I want to get it right. Sure. Um, and I want it to be believable, you know? And at the same time, like with this, you know, I was one of the big things I was thinking was, you know, why can't he just run into a normal couple and like have, have breakfast with them and just talk to them. You know I mean he's he's like shooting everything up all over the place you know wouldn't it be a nice counterpoint to have a peaceful breakfast you know <laughs> he yeah, and his daughter yeah. have a peaceful breakfast with this older couple yeah. and just kind of discuss what's going on on this massive ship you know and I was like that could work you know and so
2: Yeah
4: That's great um well and when you do hit those forks in the road do you find that inspiration comes like sort of randomly like in the middle of the night you have to get up and write it down or is it more like uh or is it like, 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 I guess, I guess when do you find inspiration comes to you the most? Um, is I guess what I'm trying to ask?
3: Um, I would say like when I'm in a story, mm-hmm. the shower, <laughs> <laughs> when I'm, I'm standing in the shower and I'm just kind of, you know, zoning out. And that's where when I'm working on a story, that's where I will just kind of, you know, let my brain go and see where, you know, kind of go down different storylines. No, I do have uh, what I call my dream journal, and my wife yeah. refuses to read it. She read the first couple pages, and she was like, "Oh my gosh!" Um, <laughs> but that's the <laughs> that is the like a journal that I keep beside my bed, where I, you know I'll have crazy dreams and I'll jump up in the middle of the night and I'll write something down. And yeah. you know, actually, most of my short stories have come from just really bizarre dreams that I've had. And yeah. um, so the the random stories, dreams. You know, when I'm working on a story, showers. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool.
1: And, and to that point, you know, it makes me think of sometimes, like in the past when I was writing something, I always found it hard to just sit there by myself as if I'm writing in a vacuum. And there were times where I would have to bounce things, ideas off of people to, to sort of get that particular scene or whatever going. Have you ever had to
3: do that? Um, I, I do with my dad sometimes. Um, cause like I said, he's a retired, well, he's retired now, but he's, a was an English professor. He has his, uh, PhD in creative writing from NYU. And, um, so I will I'll call him up and be like, dad, this is what I'm looking at. What do you think? And, and he usually, he's very good at, um, not forcing anything, but just kind of like presenting options and letting me work through stuff and just kind of listening and I mean that's probably from you know 35 plus years of working with you know students writing and trying to help them figure themselves out Um, and the other thing I do is I pretty regularly have you know coffee with friends and stuff like I said I go down to the coffee shop and whatnot and and just talk and you know it, it might not even be necessarily talking about what i'm working on right now right but it is amazing to me how just talking and you know kind of how sometimes that will spark a thought in my head that i didn't see coming and you know we can be talking about you know the pats or we can be talking about um COVID or whatever you know and, and or politics or just you know the weather for crying out loud and if you if you talk about the right thing at the right time for me it it can spark just a little thought and I'll, you know, jot something down on a napkin or, you know, or, you know, put it in my phone and come back to it later. And I mean, just conversation for me really helps creativity flow. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. I wanted to jump back. Uh, you had mentioned inner monologue before and how the character of Adam doesn't necessarily have one in the traditional sense because of the A.I. in his head. And you'd also mentioned Dune, so I wanted to just quickly pick your brain. I, I haven't seen the new Dune film yet, but I did see the original, uh, the David Lynch version. And in that movie, b- because, you know, in a novel, you would get into the characters' heads all the time. But mm-hmm. to, translate that to, to, tr- to translate that to the screen is very difficult. But I felt that David Lynch did it in a great way where you kind of heard their mo- inner monologue as a whisper. W- what did you think of that choice? Well, to
3: be completely honest, I have not seen that movie in decades. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like I, I, it's on my list. Like I had wanted to go back and rewatch it before I saw the new one, and then I just never got around to it. Um, The clips I've seen because I did watch, I you know, some like YouTube comparisons of the new and the old, and I feel like it's like one of those things where you know how like sometimes things just don't age super well? Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's like, you know, and, and, and like, like with movies and stuff where you'll watch it and you, you watched it as a kid and you're like, oh my gosh, this was the most amazing thing. And then now with all the CG and everything else, you go back and you watch it. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's so clunky. I feel like things have been streamlined more. And so like when the David Lynch one came out, in comparison to you know contemporary stuff, it worked. Um, and you know with the inner monologues in the book, I feel like it worked. I feel like people today are you know much more instant gratification, and so to have a long internal monologue or or overdubbed monologue to that they that they they could I don't remember if they picked it up directly from the book or not, but I feel like people today are like oh my gosh, he's talking for you know. 2 minutes I can't take this I need some action you know <laughs> and so I feel like it might be the kind of thing that it worked a little better back then and then today it's not not quite as it, it feels a little clunky now
4: <laughs> um
3: but you know it's it's also that was part of the book you know I mean the internal monologue the the internal thought process was was part of it you know and so it's like how do you translate that into onto the screen but do it in a way in, in smaller snippets so that, you know, people are not overwhelmed by it.
1: Right. Right. I just remember as a kid, like my parents took me to see that. Of course, my mother hated it, but, um, <laughs> you know, I just remember going, wow, that's a great way of doing it. I would have never thought to do that. You know, at the time mm-hmm. I really loved it.
3: Well, I mean, it almost, I mean, it, it realistically almost felt Shakespearean, you know, with the, the big, yeah. you know, like in Shakespeare when they go off and like, Almost like come out of their scene to go some big what do they call it a soliloquy you know right and, and it's like well there are people standing back there and you're like well what do you think would happen in real life if like I'm at a party or something and I go over and I'm like oh and I'm just gonna go off on a five minute like speech <laughs> to nobody to myself you know it's like oh, I might come across as a little weird I think I don't know people might look at me funny but, that's yeah. funny well we real quick I just wanted to
1: mention too when you were saying about how you know people don't understand people talking hearing the inner monologue out loud and that reminded me of a a simpsons episode where he complained about that show the wonder years because some kid was talking through the whole show (laughs) yeah
3: yeah you know i mean it's like i said it's one of those things where you know back then you know it it worked more so you know although there is the new wonder years i haven't watched that so maybe maybe there's maybe they're breaking out the new or the old internal monologue all over again. Right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Bring
4: back internal monologue. I don't know. <laughs> Why don't you tell us a little bit about your book series, Adam and
3: Go? All right. Well, um, Adam and Go is pretty much just a space adventure. I mean, it's a space Western in that he is a gunslinger. Um, and the first book, basically his, his entire clan, which I call him Hans, in in my book, which is kind of a tip of the hat to uh, the old Lone Wolf and Cub, um, it, it gets destroyed, and he goes on the run. He saves his two-year-old daughter, and they basically jump on a ship and just take off. And you know, everybody's trying to get him, and so he has to put a crew together to stay alive. And then he he he's a gunslinger, so what does he do? He you know picks up jobs, odd uh, jobs, you know, bounty hunters or you know protecting people. And the first book is actually. Um, kind of you know that that old uh seven samurai trope in that you know it's there's some miners that come to ask him to come protect them because they've heard of, that he's really you know fearsome or something <laughs> um <laughs> uh, but you know and in the meantime he's putting together this crew that you know i really i really love the crew um they're just kind of all over the place and um and then they just kind of a space adventure and then the second book is kind of my sci-fi adaptation of uh the good the bad and the ugly and oh, nice. that there is you know it's, uh, they're going for a treasure adam is you know happy to not but it just kind of falls into his lap and he's like crap you know i mean this could be worth you know like this could be retirement if we go for it and the crew is like yeah we should go for it so so they're going for it there is a um I never, I'm never sure how much I want to give away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, there, there is, there is, there is a clear bad guy um, who is an Imperial officer who is kind of going rogue. Cause she finds out about this treasure and she's like, I'm going to, I'm going to get there first. And then I'm going to, I'm going to retire and go buy a planet and live on it. But I don't care who I kill to get this treasure because I have, you know, the weight of the empire behind me. And then there is this, this is where i there's a uh, disgraced kind of spy shall mm. we say who um is a really i think a really fun character she was really fun to write um and uh she is the ugly <laughs> <laughs> in that um you, you know, you're never quite sure which side she's on you know sometimes she's working with Adam and sometimes she just ditches him because she thinks she can slip away and get the treasure on her own and um and so there are always there's always that kind of contention of do I trust her do I not trust her do I there are points where I need her because she has information I have information so it's just it's a fun uh, you know treasure hunt um and the crews all together and they're Uh, you know getting into trouble shall we say (laughs) nice and uh you know i mean in my the books were originally kind of a fusion of uh you know i i took some inspiration from i don't i don't know if you've ever uh read the lone wolf and cub manga or uh seen the old samurai movies
1: yeah but it's a very
3: yeah so i mean you know it's the same kind of backstory in that you know Uh, the emperor's high lord high executioner is betrayed and he goes on the run with his two year old son. I was like, that would be so much fun in space, so so, and so you know, and I mean, it's just like you know, like samurai movies and westerns, they're so interchangeable. So I was like, I could do sci fi, I could pull that. I love Firefly, I love the crew dynamic, and yeah, so I wanted to pull all of that into one story, and that's kind of where Adam and Go came from that's that is the the seeds that grew into adam and go that's nice awesome
1: that's awesome yeah th- we have another show that we do i, I do it with a, another co-host called the east meets the west and we discuss Shaw brothers films and spaghetti westerns and we'll do one of each in every episode and we found so many amazing uh similarities and parallels between the Kung Fu films from, from the Shaw brothers and the spaghetti Westerns. And you see a lot of that, like in the Mandalorian, for example, mm-hmm. there's yeah. elements of both.
3: Well, yeah, it's like I was saying, they are, they are very interchangeable because they, they tend to focus on the lone warrior, you know, be that a gunslinger or a samurai or, uh, you know, a Kung Fu master, you know, they, they tends to focus on that. And the number, I mean, you're absolutely right. The, the number of movies that are basically mirror images of each other one with a you know a cowboy and one with you know an asian warrior are it's like pretty much like everything is there you know i mean and i mean even beyond that you know it it cuz now it's starting to travel over into you know the sci-fi genre and that's where you get you know the space western and what's interesting about the space western is that it's a much bigger genre people really think and it's the kind of thing where um people watch stuff not even realizing it because you're absolutely right the, the mandalorian i mean it's it's the lone gunslinger uh realistically star wars is a space western because i mean how much of it's set on the frontier how much of how much how many how many times are they you know flying clunky breaking down spaceships you know or or, you know (laughs) and i mean how many times did the did they have to punch something in in the the millennium falcon to get it to work you know (laughs) but it's just it it goes back further than that you know um i was reading where was i reading i don't even remember um but they were comparing uh, was it wagon train i think it was it was an old western tv show to battlestar galactica oh yeah Like Uh. those two are, they're, 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 you know, and it's like that's, like they, they, they overlap so much, and people don't even realize it because they're just like, oh, look, spaceships. It's something completely different, and it's like, but,
1: well, and it's funny that really you brought that up because I have them those in my notes as well because um, when Gene Roddenberry was developing Star Trek, the network told him they wanted wagon train in space, Mm -hmm. but he didn't really deliver that. He gave them, you know. Cowboys on the frontier, but he didn't quite give them wagon train, but i hadn't even considered that Battlestar Galactica is more of a parallel to wagon train than than Star trek far more yeah <laughs> you know with the ragtag fleet fighting against the 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 cylons and you yeah. know there's so many good ones like outland with Sean connery is, mm-hmm. that's basically yeah. high noon
3: yep <laughs> it's just I'm, that's what I'm saying like the overlap there there's so much overlap, and people don't even think about how science fiction and and you know westerns you know and and samurai movies are sorry i tend to go to samurai movies because i'm a i'm a fan of those yeah uh but i do i i love kung fu movies too um uh but just how how many parallels there are between those genres you know and it's just i mean i could come up with you know half a dozen more off the top of my head right now that you know are there Right. Um, you know, and, and not necessarily even westerns, but like you go is it Yojimbo? The um Akira Kurosawa movie. Yep. And mm-hmm. Last Man Standing. Right. With uh right. Bruce, Willis, Bruce Willis, you yeah. know, set set in the what, the 30s, That's Prohibition right. yeah. and uh you know, but it's the same story. So. Yeah.
1: I mean, even John Carpenter's films, you know, Ghosts of Mars and if you go back mm-hmm. Assault on Precinct 13, those are his westerns. Yeah, yeah. Mm you know there's so so many good ones out there you know as we were starting the show talking about space westerns i was trying to rack my brain and maybe you guys can help me out there was a cartoon and it's not brave star i remember brave star but there was a cartoon probably in the late eighties, early nineties, it was done. It was an American show, I believe, but it was done with Japanese animators. So it was at that point where, like with real Ghostbusters, the American animation was starting to get much better and more realistic and less cartoony. And it was just this space western, and it was about these cowboys. Do you guys remember that at all?
3: Is it Saber Rider?
1: Maybe well, I, I remember now. One of the it characters was, was Shane Gooseman. Um.
3: I don't remember. I just remember, because I was, like, Saber Rider was, like, the same kind of time period as, like, Thundercats and Silverhawks and all that. Um, And it was, like you're saying, much more, um, kind of, there was much more of an, like, uh, anime kind of characteristic to the the animation. Right. Um, I'm I'm
1: looking at that now. No, that's definitely um, Japanese Saber Rider. That's not the one. Um, Saber okay. Rider and the Star Sheriffs, but it was very yep.
3: similar. Cause uh, there was, uh, there was Outlaw Star, but I'm pretty sure that was anime. Um, hmm. I'm
1: trying to think. Uh, I don't know. Oh, uh, Galaxy Rangers. That's what it was.
3: Okay. <laughs> All right. I'd have to look that up. That's not ringing a bell, but yeah. Uh,
1: if you look <laughs> that, I just remember really enjoying that. And there's, you know, the, I just remember this one character, Shane, he's, um, I don't know, this guy's. He's walking away from this bad guy, and the guy goes, I didn't catch your name. And he goes,
3: I didn't throw it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's so Clint Eastwood right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Um, I wish I looked it up ahead of time. I apologize. I didn't off the top of my head. Shame on me. I have to turn in my nerd card now.
4: Shame. 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 <laughs> so. So, uh, so do you, um... So do you, or have you self-published?
3: Yeah. Book two is, well, actually book one was self-published when I first did it. And then I was picked up by uh, a smaller independent publishing company. And then book two, which is uh, Trinity is uh, self-published again. It's back with Amazon. Nice. So, So, you know, I mean, it's, it's, I don't have the, the pull of the big publishing companies, but. You know, I I think I put out a pretty solid book, pretty solid story. Um, I have yet to have anybody like read it and be like, "This is garbage. This is very poorly written." Blah, blah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it it definitely helps that, like I said, I'll go back to my dad again. You know, my dad always reads everything, everything I write. I I run it through him, so it's you know, I've got a an in family you know kind of storyboard editor. So.
1: Yeah, and your books have all five star ratings on Amazon right now, so that's really awesome.
3: Yeah, yeah, I and the the best part about that is that yeah, I know some of those people, but about half of them I don't.
1: That's great. (laughs) So you know, getting
3: getting five star ratings from people you don't know is honestly worth more than you know the ones you do.
1: So how did you go about that when you when you first were you know got the idea of writing a book? Did you write it first and then try to figure out how to publish it, or were you kind of working on that simultaneously?
3: Uh I I told I wrote it first, got it all, you know, three drafts in and then started shopping around for an agent and never had any luck with that and I even went to a couple a couple of the big publishing companies will have like open submissions. And I tried that and didn't didn't have any any luck, so I was like, you know what? I'm not just going to sit on it and, you know, hope that, you know, 10 years down the line I'm going to find somebody. And so I just I I looked into self-publishing and realized that Amazon, their Kindle Direct Publishing is super user friendly. It is. You know, and I mean I I a couple of people actually at the Rhode Island Comic Con asked me about, you know, how do you how do you get self published How do you do that? And I was like, dude, check out Kindle Direct Publishing because it's, you know, they they streamline everything and they make it super easy. Now the downside to that is <laughs> some, some self-published stuff you find is absolute garbage. You know, it's um, Mm -hmm. because if you can put a Word document together, you can publish it, but (laughs) you know, it's, 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 (laughs) I, yeah, (laughs) I've read a few, Um, (laughs) but you know, you, you can, it's really easy. And actually the royalties are better than you get through a big publishing company. So you know, I'm not, I'm not complaining. I'm, I'm quite happy. You know, if granted, you know, if like orbit a tour or, you know, one of those big companies, you know, called me up tomorrow and said, Hey, we want to publish your book. I would, I would a hundred percent jump at the chance, but I am perfectly content right now with Amazon and um, everything they offer.
1: And is, is there, an? Um, I don't know what the, the word is I'm looking for. I know that it's, it's really easy to publish through if it's just a digital copy, but you have physical copies of the book, is that a little bit more difficult to do through Amazon? Um,
3: there's a little bit more because uh, you have to spend a few hours going through a formatting process where you make sure that you know it's going to look right on the page. Yeah. Because um, you don't want <laughs> you don't want it to look you know goofy. Um, so, so, but realistically, it's a couple more hours, and you just. You know, you upload it, they actually have a um, like a formatting software thing that you download and you put your manuscript in it. And then you can play with the fonts and you can play with the sizes and, you know, make sure everything looks right.
1: Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. And
3: then it's, it's print on demand, too, which is really nice because from what I understand, you know, I've never had to do this, but, you know, a decade or two ago. If you wanted to self-publish you had to go to a publishing company and you would you know purchase you know 100 copies of your book right and then you would have to sell it and you know there's there's no overhead on this unless i mean i'm buying books for you know comic cons and stuff um if i'm doing that you know i i get them ahead of time and i do have to pay for them then but you know anybody that orders a copy off of amazon they print it up right then and send it out so I don't have to sit on, you know, 5,000 copies of my book.
1: But <laughs> are they charging you up front for it or how does that work?
3: Um not not for ordered copies, no. If I I mean if I get author copies, like I'm going to take them to um a, a convention, yeah, I have to pay for them up front and then they send me, you know, boxes of books. Um but for anything off of, you know, anything that people order from Amazon, uh physical copies or ebooks, they i don't have to pay anything up front i just they keep track of it and they send me a royalty they direct deposit royalties at the end of the month so wow that's great yeah
1: what do you find is the best way to market your book
3: Uh, that is the million dollar question (laughs) i um (laughs) uh realistically i mean uh, people have said you know use social media but i mean that only goes so far um personally i think the best way to market my book and get it in the hands of people that would otherwise never even consider it is the conventions i mean honestly cuz i'm i'm selling you know 20 30 plus copies and i'm getting to talk to people and the other nice thing about it is you know i'll talk to people and the my my sales always kind of bump up at the week week or two after cuz people have seen me they've talked to me they might not have bought my book at the convention but they go home, they look me up online. I have a website, you know, and they, they go through that and they read some of my stuff and, you know, sometimes they order my book. So um, I mean, I know Amazon does advertising stuff, but I haven't seen a ton of success from that. So I don't, I don't know. But then again, I am not a huge, huge, uh, you know, self-published author. So <laughs> right. I, I, I mean, I, I mean, I say that like, cause I know that there are, you know, self-published authors on Amazon that have you know twenty-five books, and you have twenty-five books available. You're just gonna, you know, it's like throwing a bigger net out there. You're you're bound to catch more people's attention with more, more merchandise uh, right. than just two books. So, right. you know, I'm working towards that. I'm trying. Nice. <laughs> yeah,
4: that's great. Well, as I mentioned too, um, I've I've had some experience with self-publishing two very small books, and I always found the most difficult thing has been the marketing part. uh would you say that is the most difficult, or is there something else that you find more difficult than that when it comes to self publishing
3: no oh you're absolutely right it's the marketing' Cause oh yeah it's I mean, how do you get your book in front of you know people who otherwise would not see it sure you know, I mean yeah I mean there are options I mean you can take out ads in you know, some of the, you know, like I I could probably take out an ad space in like a sci-fi magazine somewhere and Mm
2: -hmm.
3: hope that it was worth it. Um, I I am doing the, like, Amazon does like a Kindle advertising thing that I'm doing. But like I said, I haven't seen any real uh, sales directly from that. But, you know, I've only been, it's only been up for a couple weeks now. So maybe it's the kind of thing that, you know, over time, it will slowly start to, Turn into something. I don't know. I'm learning. If you guys have any advice, you know, (laughs) for self-publishing, I will take it. So, well, I think coming on
1: the show here is definitely a step
3: in the right direction. Yes. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, yeah, this is, this is probably huge for me. You know, so I appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, no problem.
1: And why don't you tell us about your website? You know, you've got a lot of interesting articles on there. I, I um, actually picked up some of the stuff you referenced earlier. I had read in your articles on there, so.
3: Okay, well, it's uh, it's just zachwindrell.com. dot com. Um, I call it the literary busker because I tried to be clever and <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I thought it was funny. Um, but it's basically just you know, kind of my ramblings. You know, I, I I say I joke and say it's you know, it's the stuff that falls out of my head. You know, um, I'll have some short stories on there. I'll have some excerpts from my stuff, and then I you know, I'll just I'll if if something catches my fancy and I think it relates to writing or I think it relates to you know a book I've read or movies that are coming out. Um, you know, I'll just, I'll, I'll write about it. And part of it is I just, you know, I kind of want to you know get stuff out there and engage people a little bit. And I love it when, you know, I start, when I get some, some comments and stuff and, you know, a couple of my, my, probably my biggest one was, uh, I, uh, wrote a while ago, I wrote a post about, um, Star Wars and whether, you know, whether they should stick to the canon or whether it was, you know, the new movies were good or bad. And I got, you know, several people that kind of jumped into that discussion, you know, some of them a little more heated than others, but, (laughs) you know, um, but I I like doing that. I like it when we can engage in discussion and, and talk about stuff. And so, you know, like I said, my ramblings, musings, whatever you want to call them, are just kind of my thoughts on, you know stuff like that, especially in the sci-fi world. But you know, in the world in general, usually related to entertainment. I don't think that I you know deviate too too much from that. You know, I don't want to get into politics and junk like that because I've never you know I t- politics. I've never understood you know artists, authors, you know movie stars, whatever who get into politics or start talking a lot about politics because it's like, dude, you're marketing yourself. Right. Uh,
4: yeah. Yep. And
3: whatever you say, you're instantly going to alienate half the people out there. Exactly. No matter which side you're on. So true. It's like why? I, so I I, it's like, I'll talk politics with my friends, you know, over coffee. But, you know, it's like, I don't want to put stuff out there because, you know, what's mine is mine. And I'd rather just write stories and talk about stories. And, you know, I'd rather entertain people. I would rather have people, you know enjoy their time with me than (laughs) you know than not you know and the realistically from a marketing standpoint i i you know would hate to say something that you know a potential buyer of my book who might like my book but they're like oh he said this i'm not reading that Ah." yeah so Mm -hmm. i just don't get it it's just boggles my mind yeah
1: it's it's i there was someone who said it perfectly once he goes you know don't tell me how to how to vote. You, you pretend for a living, you know. He's
3: talking about an actor, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, but and, and like like I said, they're they're entitled to everybody's entitled to their opinions and whatnot. You know, do your thing, but you know, hey, it, with movie movie stars and stuff, it's like just keep acting because I enjoy your movies. But then you start spouting stuff off, and I'm like, oh man, yeah. you ruined it. <laughs> yeah, I agree.
1: Are there any other types of stories kicking around in your head that you hope to write that may not be space westerns?
3: Well, um, I don't know. I tend to lean towards science fiction. It just – it's it tends to be what comes out, um, mainly because I feel like with sci-fi, you just have more freedom than any other genre. Um you know, it's like I can, you can, I, and any genre can fit into science fiction if you wanted to. You know, it's like you can write a science fiction romance if you want, or a science fiction mystery, or whatever. But, you know, if you're writing uh, a 19, what twenties noir detective novel and all of a sudden they have, you know, a blaster, you're like, what the, f- no, 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 you ruined it, you know? So, <laughs> but with sci fi, I have the freedom to go wherever I want. And um, I, I mean, I do have I have a couple short stories that are, you know, just kind of general fiction. I have um, some short stories that are kind of like zombie apocalypse. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not crazy into horror, mainly because I kind of lack the ability to write scary stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've tried a couple times, and like I have a buddy who's like big time into horror movies and stuff, and I I let him read it, and he's like, no no that's, no was <laughs> you know, so like okay i'm burying that you know that, that's going in the archives i'm not gonna <laughs> i'm not gonna try that so you know it's just just not my thing i know i know where my weaknesses are and uh, uh you know but at the same time i will write whatever kind of comes out of my head so you know i'm not gonna pigeonhole myself and say i will only write science fiction um you know because like i i like i said i wrote I've written some, you know, kind of just general fiction, gen, gen fiction. I don't know what you call it. Um, like a you drama. Know, just about, you know, a, what? a drama, I, I guess, kind of like a short story, just about, you know, kind of a, a kid growing up, you know, and facing some, some tough stuff at home. And I, I wrote that and, you know, that's definitely not science fiction. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's about a kid who, you know, has an abusive father and, you know, he's sitting on the beach trying to decide, what am I doing? You know, am I going to stay here and let him, you know, continue this? Am I going to do something else with my life? And and that was that was the story. You know, it was, it was flash fiction, so it was only like three pages long, but it was definitely not science fiction. So, it's in there somewhere, I guess.
4: <laughs> <laughs> um, do you? Um, what sorts
3: of movies and TV shows do you watch? Um. Well. I am pretty open when it comes to movies. Um, I I do enjoy science fiction, uh, but I'm not, you know, like I said, I'm not pigeonholed to that. When it comes Mm -hmm. to TV, uh, I I tend to watch, you know, kind of, I watch TV with my wife a little bit at night. I, I don't watch a ton of stuff on my own because if I sit there by myself watching TV, about 10 minutes in, I'm just like, I should be writing. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I get that like super guilty, like, I I can't do this. Um I do I I'm kinda like all over the place. Like I just went back and watched um the the original Cowboy Bebop um a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, so I, I like anime, I like uh I like movies in general. I grew up with my, my parents, uh both my parents were college professors. My mom was a drama professor um and she would that they, they would like my parents would team teach a what it was like a film appreciation class every every year and so like saw a lot of they went and saw a ton of movies so I would I would go with them yeah growing up we would go see probably two movies a weekend just because they stayed on top of everything and we watch everything from you know foreign films to you know, actions to kind of everything out there, you know, we'd, mm. we'd watch. And so I don't really have anything that I'm okay. You guys are probably going to be mad at me, but the one thing that I'm really <laughs> not crazy about is I'm not crazy about like really gory horror movies. Oh, we're not mad at
1: you. We're
3: kicking you off the show now. <laughs> get out. Just get out. No, no. Not mad. Just disappointed. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I totally agree with uh, I mean, you. I do. I enjoy like like kind of scary thrillers i enjoy kind of suspenseful things i've just never been huge into the like over the top gore i think is what it is yeah um which and I, like like i said my i have one of my best buddies he's big time into that thing you know it's that's his thing you know uh but you know like one of my all-time favorite movies is alien i love that movie nice. you know which yeah which you know sci-fi but you know it's 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 I don't, would you call it a horror or, you know, is it just like a monster movie? I don't even know where you to put me it. To it's a
1: sci-fi horror.
3: Yeah, because it definitely mm-hmm. is scary, you know, especially the first one, you know, when like yeah. the, the the old school, like, what the hell are we looking at? I don't know. It's, <laughs> I saw a little bit of a tale. What is it? You know, and it's just funny because, like, I actually watched it with my daughter and she was kind of underwhelmed, I guess. Uh be, I mean not not completely because I definitely talked to her uh, ahead of time and I was like okay you have to remember that this was when when did that come out like 79 79? yeah 79 so I was like when this came out you know this was like cutting edge special effects and so I showed her um you know some clips from other movies or at the same time and it's like oh my gosh there was some there was some bad stuff you know <laughs> and and compared to like everything else at the time alien was just like mind blowing um and so we watched it, and she she liked it, but like I said, you know, compared to uh, all the CG junk out there today, you know, you, you lose some of that, but that's, that is one of my kind of classic favorite sci-fi, you know, the first and second ones, just, I loved them, you know, and I loved that they were different, yeah, you know, I loved that the first one was just more like that suspense, scary, and the second one was that kind of like, you know, Space Marines were going to go in like hit button. You know, and I, I love yeah, it. I mean, yeah. I remember as a kid running around playing Space Marines because we had seen, you know, we'd watched Aliens in third grade. We it's
0: like, <laughs> awesome. You
3: know, so.
1: But, That's so you know. cool. That's so cool. Well, Zach, um, what have you got coming up for your, your next book or books?
3: Uh, well, I'm working on book three right now. I don't have a title, but um, I'm laughing and calling it Things, Things Fall Apart because everything's been in the first two books everything's gone kind of smoothly you know i mean not not super smooth because they definitely have their problems but like i said somebody gets shot in the third book so it's like uh uh-oh um but i'm about two-thirds of the way through the first draft of that right now and i am hoping i'm hoping to have it you know edited and ready to roll by next summer so that is that is where I am. That's what I'm working on. Book three, title yet to be determined. And it's it's flowing. It definitely is. That's awesome. I'm, not, <laughs> I'm kind of scared of it, but it's, <laughs> it's flowing. <laughs> well, well <laughs> since
1: we've got time you know, until next summer, why don't you tell the audience where they can find you and your books online so they can catch
3: up? Okay. Well, uh, as I said, my my website is zachwindrell.com, and you can find all of my musings there. You can also find links to... Uh, my Amazon page, which is where you can buy both of my books uh, in physical or ebook copies, and they're both both available. Um, yeah, through Amazon, just you just search Zach Windrill or Adam and Go, and it'll pop right up. Excellent,
1: excellent, excellent. Well, Zach. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. You know, you've got an open invitation to come back again to promote your next book or just talk about whatever you want to. If you want to come on and talk about sci-fi movies, we can
3: certainly do that. All right. That would be great. Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. Awesome. All right. Yeah, thank you.
1: So that was great, huh? He's a nice guy.
4: He is a nice guy, and I really enjoyed hearing his process. I mean, I know often we often talk, we've often talked to composers and directors and uh, uh, screenwriters, but it was nice hearing from someone of a different medium discuss their process. And uh, it sounds like he has he has found something that really works well for him, and I'm I'm glad to see that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I agree, too, and I, I, I felt bad. I didn't get a chance to read his books yet. I have them. I just got them the other day, so it was kind of too late, but I'm, I am definitely yeah. going to read them, and I recommend that the listeners uh, check him out. We'll have all his um, links in the show notes, and uh, support this independent author who's, who's doing well. You know, it's, yeah. We want to see more of these kind of things out there, so more Absolutely. yeah. Okay, folks, thanks for joining us today for our awesome interview with Zachary Wingerl. You can send your feedback to thenisnow42 at gmail.com. You can also join in the conversation at our Facebook Then Is Now Podcast group.
4: Then Is Now Podcast is a proud member of the Dorkening Podcast Network, so be sure to check out the other great shows there at thedorkening.com. And you can find me at storiesmotion.com. I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at storiesinmotion. You can also visit our website at havenpodcast.com where you'll find our sister show, The East Meets the West. In which we discuss Shaw Brothers films and Spaghetti Western movies. And while you're there, click on the Patreon and T public legs and get some exclusive stuff.
1: That's right, that's right. And then as now is also on YouTube. So please visit youtube.com slash user uncle Death1 to get the latest videos as well as other fun videos. And please subscribe to our YouTube page and be sure to hit that little bell there and share the video versions of our podcast with your friends to get them to subscribe as well. Don't forget to go wherever you download your podcast from and leave us a great review so that more listeners can find us. You can find us on all the podcasting apps, especially the Big Three, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Class dismissed.
3: Now podcast is intended for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. Sounds, music, and clips played during this podcast are the property of their copyright holders. All original content is copyright Jupiter Media.